Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you Wednesday, February 24th, a couple days after the Australian Open Finals have been played. Naomi Osaka is your women's singles champion. The 23-year-old claims her fourth major title. Pretty impressive performance by Osaka, who has now won her first four major finals. She's the first woman to do that since Monica Seles in 1991, and just the third player in Open Era history to win her first four major finals. More to come, one would think, on the men's side. It's Novak Djokovic, your champion. He wins his 18th major title, defeating Daniil Medvedev in the final. A comprehensive performance for Djokovic. Overcame the injury and kept the big three in the winning way in terms of major finals. They have now won 58 of the last 70 major titles. That's the big three since Roger Federer's breakthrough in 2003 at Wimbledon. So lots to unpack today. We're going to focus our attention on those two aforementioned singles champions, Naomi Osaka and Novak Djokovic. Happy to chat with Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now's editor, and Eric Goodris, Tennis Now contributor, about those subjects. So let's get right into our interview now, shall we? Richard touched on an interesting topic, and it's actually one of the questions that I had written down that I wanted to ask you both. Sort of a a fun question. Margaret Court's record of 24 major titles, we see that Serena once again was stopped when she lost in the semifinals to Naomi Osaka. Is it actually possible now that Novak Djokovic would be the player to get there before Serena Williams? She's got six more to do it. No, I, I would still say Serena. I think Serena's going to match it before she retires, and then beyond that, I don't know what she'll do. But I think she'll she'll match it first, but I think he could potentially go further. You really think that Novak has six more in him, Richard, and then we'll, after that, he's let's 30, ask him. I mean, he's 33. He's 33. Federer at 39 is a threat, and you look at Rafa, what he's been through with his knees and his injuries at 34. I mean, he's 33, but body-wise, I mean, I'd say he's like a 29, 30-year-old guy just because how incredibly fit he is, and then also the break he had with the elbow, stuff like that. I, I just think he's so driven that his goals are maybe far superior beyond what we're even discussing or thinking. I mean, I think he wants to leave the game as no doubt the guy, a legend there, so that there's no debate, no question. I really think that's what he, that's what's driving him. And I also think he wants to win the gold medal in the Olympics for Serbia, too. I think there's a lot left for him to achieve. And also, if you're him and you're looking at the field, you just beat the hottest guy in tennis, a guy with 20-match win streak. You not only beat him, you beat him down and showed him a level that he could not Matt, why wouldn't you think you could really run the table the next two or three years? I mean, he's beating... You know, the best younger guys, too. But, you know, those guys have a high ceiling since the past there of Medvedev. I think they're going to improve, but he's a, he's already a they few steps improve. ahead of him now. And he improved his serve a lot. I mean, that was one of his better serving tournaments. They couldn't touch him on serve in the clutch. He was great on serve, and he was great at the net. I think he was like 16 of 18 at the net in the final. He just showed you the total, total game. Obviously, it's on his best court, his favorite service. Things get a lot trickier when you go into grass and clay, stuff like that. But, I mean, he's there. I mean, and he really, the thing that impresses me is that he's been vocal about, I want to break the record for most weeks at number one, which he's going to do on March 
eighth, and, you know, I want to be the Grand Slam kid. I mean, he's really vocal about public about saying it, and that puts added pressure, but it tells you how serious he is and how driven he is that he's willing to bear that burden. Yeah, and and Eric, take a shot at it. What do you, do you think? You think Novak could get the twenty four? I uh, definitely like Richard said. Time time is on his side. Like you said, uh, you know, his age wise, he's like playing like like a late twenty year old, and yeah. you know, surfaces. I mean, aside from the French Open, uh, surface wise, I mean, Wimbledon's also been very good to Novak Djokovic over the years as well. So uh, very good. We always think of him like on the hard courts, but. Uh, it's definitely definitely in reach as long as he stays healthy over these next couple of years. And I think one more interesting thing from that tournament, we saw when he got wounded, he was able to accelerate the points and not have to grind. Remember like years back when he played Ralph for the five-hour 40? I mean, he was playing 20, 25-ball rallies. He showed you when I'm wounded and i got to shorten it up and either bring him in, drop shot him in, or I come in myself, I can play six to eight shot. You know, like that he could win long rallies, he can win the short rallies, the medium rallies. I mean, he could yeah. do whatever he needs to do. So he's very resourceful, I felt. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you guys, and, and I'll start with Eric. Is what, do you, what specifically did you like about Novak Djokovic's performance in the final, tactically or you know, technically? What did he do against Medvedev that impressed you? I think he, uh, because he is such an outstanding player. I mean, it was, it was sort of like match management. Is that he he took the initiative at at the key moments in that match, and he didn't let Medvedev sort of um, think that he might have a chance to come back, especially yeah. when he, uh, especially in that second set. So, I mean, to me, it's he again. He just didn't let Medvedev into that match. I mean, after the first set, I mean, it was all Djokovic, and that to me is why why he won that final because uh, he knew because of his experience when to take the initiative and what to do against uh, Medvedev in the key moments. Hmm. And Richard, we were all struggling to figure out what Novak could do against a red-hot player like Daniel Medvedev that presents so many issues for so many players with the way he covers the court, with the the, the way he can serve, um, with the fact that he's great off of both wings and maddening, maddeningly consistent. That's a tough word for me to say. I just realized maddeningly. Um, but Novak made it look easy. What did he do? How did he make it look easy? Was it something from his playbook? I felt like he played him deep down the middle, sometimes no pace, sometimes he played him down the middle to take away the angles, and he said, you show me that you can create and initiate some offense instead of being the guy 10, 12 feet behind the baseline countering. Like, you show me that you can take some offense. So he put that pressure on him, and then the five-all game, when he, when he got through that, I felt like he's just so good as a front-runner that he, he's able to stretch the lead really well. I felt his serve was, was really, really a weapon throughout the tournament, especially in the final, and that he was willing to drag Medvedev out of his comfort zone from behind the baseline. He showed him the drop shot early. He hit some angled returns, some angled slices. He knows he's not comfortable in the front court. So he said on some key points, I'm going to bring you up here and let's see what you're let's see what you can do up here. And he's just not the same player in the front court. So I thought it was pretty comprehensive he did a little bit of everything but he did it at the right times you know and like his shot selection his tactics he just had a real strong feel for it and i also felt 
that the fans, the Serbian fans, were really great for him and kept him positive and energized, and he it felt like he really wanted to do it for them and for the box as well. Because remember how dramatically different it was when there was no fans. So I felt that that helped him as well, and he felt and I feel like he feels welcome there. Whereas other places like the Wimbledon final against Roger a few years back, where the, like 98% of the crowd is for Federer, I feel like there he feels like they, they're really here with me, they want me, they embrace me, and I feel like that puts him in a positive state of mind. Although you could argue the whole turning point of the tournament was when he smashed the racket against Varev and then totally turned it around, so the rage also fueled him. Yeah, that was a tight match, actually, yeah. Good point. Yeah, it was. I think was. One, one of the things we're not mentioning um at great length is Novak Djokovic's return I mean a lot of the talk on Twitter during the final was about some of the returns the first serve returns that he was putting right back at Medvedev's feet it seemed for a lot of the match Medvedev had no answer on the third shot of the rallies when he was serving did you notice some some of that world-class returning that we talk about Eric yeah, definitely and I think some of that also was just due to the fact that Medvedev really never got kind of grew on his serve. Um, and again, that's a large part to do Djokovic's uh, returning. So yeah. I think, you know, part of that final is, you know, speaking a little bit Med- Medvedev, I think a lot of people were disappointed with that performance because he just couldn't, it didn't seem like he had much of a, a plan, even especially when things start not going his way. That I, It just, wasn't quite sure what he was trying to do out there for most of the match, aside from his normal normal games. So um, that's definitely going to be probably a performance that he'll look back on with some, you know, disappointment. But hopefully he can learn from it because uh, now that he's been in two Grand Slam finals, um, he certainly seems like he's he's due for one soon. Yeah, there's definitely a trend with with Daniel Medvedev. I mean, playing playing very well and reaching reaching those two finals is is a great sign. But yeah, Richard, I read your article yesterday early in the morning about um you you dug out those quotes from Uncle Tony. Tony Nadal had some pretty harsh criticism for Medvedev in the final. Um, what did he say? He said, I'm surprised that sometimes athletes of this level have that little capacity to face difficulty. He was pretty hard on Medvedev, and I'll be honest, as I watched the final, I too was wondering why Medvedev couldn't sort of just put put some of the troubles he was having behind him and be a little more steady, a little more focused, and at least try to find his game. He just got a little bit lost sort of in that um he got lost in that like vortex of angst, I would say, for in, like midway through the second. What, what's your take on that, and what what made you find those quotes and and um, and focus in on them? Yeah, I was disappointed. I would say, similarly to what you just said, I was disappointed that he did, it didn't seem like he was willing to even try to change it up tactically. It reminded me a little bit of the team loss, where they just kind of the. That just the wind got away from him, and he just couldn't seem to summon anything. I guess the reason I was disappointed is because I have such respect for him as a tactician, his court right. sense, his awareness, shot selection. He's just such a smart guy, even off the court. I mean, he's a very smart guy. If you ever hear his interviews, just even his post-final interview, I thought it was a great he's interview. Great. He's yeah. real honest. He's a very bright guy, so just the way he thinks about the game, and I just thought for some reason he just... I don't know if it was just the drain of the winning streak, if it was just like, hey, I'm I'm against a guy on his court that I don't have an answer for, but I just was frustrated that he didn't seem to find, or at least pursue an alternative, maybe play higher and deeper, maybe move your return position, and just saw, show him something, you know. But it just, once that 5-all got away from him, I just felt like, 
once Janovac got the early break, and I just felt like this is over. Like yeah. there's no, you know, I felt like there's no answer. There's no response. And that's, you know, that's a heavy thing to say about a guy who's definitely absolutely the hottest player in tennis going into that match. And it's such a great, great run, too. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, you know, like you guys said, it's great. It's a second final and all that. But I think it shows he still has a lot of work to do. And he was pretty honest talking about that afterward. Yeah, I hope and I hope he does some of the work. And I think part of the part of the difficulties he had was maybe entering the final with a three and four record against Novak, and also having that experience at Cincinnati where he started going for big second serves, and it actually worked out for him. I think he thought that was maybe part of the plan. And obviously, we saw him hit some big second serves that were pretty ugly and missed by a, by a wide margin. Um, any final thoughts on that? Yeah, and, and also you look at the previous match. He had like 17 or 18 aces against Sitsipas, who was obviously shot from the Rafa match. So he was he was getting all the free points on serve against Sitsipas. Then all of a sudden it's like night and day. Then you're facing a guy that he, every single ball is coming back and every service game you really got to fight and scrape your way through. So maybe mentally it was just you know so jarring for him that he just couldn't find a solution. Yeah, what do you make of that, Eric? Um, overall, you think you think he's really not too far from becoming a Grand Slam champion, this this young Daniil Medvedev? I definitely think he can do it. I'd, I'd be curious to see kind of how the rest of the year uh, plays out. Now, I think he's risen to three in the world, yes. so certainly that's going to help him with the draws coming up. And, um, again, I think he's going, you know, I think it's, it all depends on the uh, the surface as well, and uh, I'd be curious to see what he does at Exit Wimbledon. I think with the serve that he has, and like you said, the the tactics that he that he has, I think he actually if anywhere. I think he might have a shot at Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah. I think he's some of his early moves that he made. One of his first big wins came against Stan Wawrinka at Wimbledon. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah, and he looks. He seems like built for that game a little bit, as long as he can get his feet underneath him. But I'm going to change the subject quickly and ask you, Eric, why is Naomi Osaka so good? <laughs> uh, that's that's a great question. Look, I think she's just she's just becoming like the complete player, and, and there's actually a lot even more that improvement that she could do. I think her movement has gotten. Uh, so much better over the years. The serve is now a, a significant weapon, yeah. and now the belief is there—the belief that she's kind of transitioned from being an up-and-coming player to the player. And she showed that in the last couple rounds, where she faced down those situations and she believed that she would she would get out of them. So that's that to me is the biggest shift has been that belief that she is a champion that she will find a way to get out of a difficult uh, situation in match and that she will prevail. What, what did you think of her final with Jen Brady? Did, did you, to me, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't much drama in it, but it sort of felt like it was Naomi's match the whole way through. I, it, I found it interesting how she was able to kind of handle the pressure and just almost make it look easy. Well, I think, and similar with Novak Djokovic, is that she, she played that match better, um, Probably didn't, didn't play her best tennis, but she managed the the moments that she needed to, and she took the initiative when she needed to, and uh, that's why she won. As I thought, Jen Brady played well enough. She certainly could have played much better, and that's the difference: is that Jen Brady would have had to play like the match of her life uh, to potentially win. And the fact that she didn't have that great of a day, that's why Naomi was able to to take that title. Yeah, Richard, do you think? 
Naomi Osaka is the player that makes other players play bad. Uh, what, was, what was your interpretation of the final and her performance, specifically in that match? I felt like when she saved the break point right at the end of that first set and she got over the hump there, then she she kind of snuffed out the belief in the second set. Also, her record in majors when she wins the first set, it's phenomenal. I mean, I, I think it's 44 and I don't, I don't I think, know. I think it's 44 it's and But she has an unbelievable record when she wins the first set. And part of that is, you know, I feel like it loosens her up on serve where she really starts snapping and popping the serve even more. But, you know, she's just so explosive that she can beat you. The, you know, serve and return the most important shots. Yeah. She's got the best serve, arguably, and certainly one of the best returns. And I felt like, like Eric said earlier, the movement and the defense have definitely improved. But I, for me, a big, big improvement. She puts a lot more returns in play now than when we first saw so You guys remember the Madison Keys match years ago at the Open where she was yeah. up big and then... She just couldn't put a return in the court. She's missing by three. She was just, like, overhitting the returns, and I feel like she pulled back slightly on the returns. Not, I mean, she can still hit return winners off one shot, but I feel like she really made an effort to, I'm going to really put more returns in and then play the point on my terms because when you can hold serve like her, if you can pressure the opponent, just get them into 30-all, get them into deuces, sometimes just that pressure of knowing geez, I'm not going to break her serve. This is really big. Sometimes it just mentally breaks players down, too, because she's so hard to break on a fast surface like that. And you see the variety on the serve where she can put it anywhere. She can hit the short angle on the deuce side. She can take you out wide. She can go down the tee. I mean, she, her serve is just a huge weapon, no doubt. Uh, Eric, let me ask you this. We've talked a lot about one statistic that's pretty remarkable with regard to Naomi. It's the fact that she's won her first four Grand Slam majors, one of just three players in the open era to do that, the other two, Monica Seles, Roger Federer. Is that just an, maybe an aberration, or is that – I mean, that seems like one of those stats where we're going to look back on it and say, well, yeah, that was the indicator that she was destined to be a dominant force at the slams. We already talked about last time – getting ahead of ourselves and, and talking double-digit slams and, and Naomi Osaka, it seems a little ridiculous, but everybody's sort of doing it. It's the number we've all chosen. Um, is there, are there reasons that – is she that good? Are there reasons? And we talked about she needs to improve on other surfaces, but when you see her on a hard court do what she's done at these last couple of slams, does it tell you, like, wow, yeah, maybe she, maybe she really is going to be the dominant force in the women's game for a while now? Yeah, I definitely think she she definitely could become the dominant force. Simply, uh, as we talked about, there is so there is still room for so much improvement, and uh, especially on those other services, play and and grass. So if she wants to add to her Grand Slam total, then that's where she could start picking them up as well. So I think it's also just um, it's also a testament to that no matter like we're talking about the depth of the women's game right now that she has. And we've seen uh, so many players um, win their first uh, major title over the last couple of years, but that she's consistently now starting to do it almost uh, like one or two a year. And that she has sort of started building this momentum where she could potentially win uh, one or two majors a year. So I think that she's starting to separate herself out a little bit in that regard to the rest of the um, players, especially around her her age, who are, um, or maybe they they win their first major and then they struggle with expectation and pressure. So certainly, Sophia Cannon faced that this uh, this time around. Yes, so uh, yeah. that's that's another aspect to reason why thinking that Osaka could 
potentially become a double-digit uh, Grand Slam champion. What do you guys like about Naomi, the person? Just a, kind of an offbeat question. She's a pretty interesting character, right? Anybody want to take that question? Yeah, I mean, I think um, her personality has certainly, um, she's more um, outspoken. She's more open. Uh, I just remember when she first was on the tour, she was very shy and then didn't like speaking, you know, at all. And now she's just so uh, eloquent uh, when she speaks. And uh, I think she's just become um, such a great, great ambassador for the sport. So, um, and she's also very funny as well. So um, I think that's that's great too. Mesothelioma, Richard. What, what do you like about Naomi, the person? I like that she has a sense of humor. She's willing to laugh at herself, but also, like Eric said, that she's willing to speak the truth as she sees it. It takes a lot of courage, especially someone in that position where the sponsorships, all the pressure, the endorsements that she's willing to call it like she sees it. Anyone who's honest to me, I really have a, a lot of respect. And also that she's willing to talk about the opponents, about the game, about other players. Like I remember when Sharapova was number one, she would not even sometimes refer to the opponent by their name. She would just say, my opponent. You know, mm-hmm. whereas with Osaka, like you really get the feeling she's a tennis fan. She watches the game. She's interested in the players' lives. Like in New York last summer where she talked to Sitsipas, where he didn't really understand. You know, like she's willing to have a sort of conversation. She really seems to like the sport and appreciate her place in the sport. So I think that's great to have an ambassador like her at the yeah. top of the sport that really cares about the sport. Yeah, good stuff. Do you, do you think anybody, when you look down the next couple of years on tour, the women's side, do you pick, do you pick in your mind a rival for her that could, could play her re- repeatedly and have I'd a like great rival? Andres, I'd like to see Andrescu really, you know, if she could stay healthy just because their styles are different. I would really like to see that, but I just don't know if she can stay Stay healthy. You know who's had success against her at times is Belinda Bencich, although she's yes, another yes. player that's shown us a lot of good flashes. She just can't always stay healthy. So someone like that, but you know, anyway, I mean, Kenan, anyway, you know, Coco Golf has had some matches against. So mm-hmm. yeah, you'd like to see someone emerge as a long-term rot for sure. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Eric, you see anybody, or, or do you like you know? Well, when... I was just going to mention Ash Barty because I mean, Ash Barty has. All the all the weapons, and she's got the got variety, and but it's still there's sort of this like question mark about Ash Barty, um, about can she kind of put it all together um, at a major? Certainly she did it before, but like this is again this is sort of a disappointing Australian Open for her. I thought she had a really good chance to at least reach the final, and then kind of got you know that whole Mahova match kind of didn't work out for a variety of reasons and some of that may have been ash party just let that whole situation get to her a little bit so um i th- it could be ash party but like i said i think there's just there's still a kind of lingering question mark around ash party um in terms can she become a consistent factor at the majors okay yeah yeah we'll see what happens with ash or let's give her some time she kind of just returned to tour after a real long time off a lot of pressure in australia though she tries to beat play it low-key but you know there's pressure um so it'll be nice to see her get off the continent maybe and relax a bit but i have i have one thing to add about arrival for osaka in my Are you mind gonna say jennifer brady you gonna say john brady oh, that's a good one too i do like that actually but in my mind i see iga iga's fiontech i oh, yeah, i see her one progressing, winning more majors, and I see those guys battling 
Um, and I like, uh, again, like you chose um, Benchich and other players for the matchup that would, uh, Andrescu is one you named. I think um, Sviontek has a really interesting game that's different from Naomi's. She's a little bit more athletic, moves better, mixes it up more, and it would be nice to see those two pitted against one another, see the power of Osaka, the serve and returns of Osaka, and seeing the young Pole try to counter that with her clever game and her athleticism. I think that could be a good matchup, and I'm looking forward to it. And plus, they get along pretty well. They'd have a lot of fun with it as much as they'd have a lot of great competition. But I'll uh, push it to you guys as we wrap this up. Any final thoughts on the either final or in, on the Australian Open in general? Eric? Well, just uh, hats off to the, the, the organizers for, 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 for getting it done. Of Absolutely. course, there was certainly uh, a, lot of, a lot of variables, a lot of the, the, the hard lockdown for those players, uh, having fans, not having fans, having fans back again. Uh, you know, just that they were able to, to get it done and um, have an event is um, is extremely commendable. Absolutely. It was a good time for all of us. What do you got for us, Richard? Uh, I would say, actually, I thought the speeches after the matches were in some ways more intriguing than the than the finals, and no disrespect to either final. I think they tried hard. They For me, they were a little anticlimactic, honestly. Yeah. But I thought I that, that, that all four players spoke well you know, right at, to the crowd afterwards and in their post-match. I thought they were all really interesting and it gave me a lot of uh, good thoughts about the future. I hope that there's no residual effects. We saw a lot of people go down with the ab issue. Yes. Berrettini, Novak, a lot of people suffered from that. I hope that's not a residual lingering thing into the spring. And uh, I would say Sabalenka, Mertens winning the doubles. It's great to see. They seem to bring out the best in each other and have a nice rapport, and they seem really joyful when they play together. I was happy for them. And for older people like me, Rajiv Ram, I really he had a phenomenal tournament and really uh, he really did well. I'd say the one thing that stuck out for me is all the young players that I'm really excited about. They showed flashes of really good things, but they also showed that they have a lot of work to do, like Felix losing the lead or Chapo. Or you can look a lot, just a lot of the younger guys. They showed you a lot of good flashes, even since the past. Huge, you know, great, great win over Rafa. Andy but then could, Yeah, Ronde Rublev, right, and just couldn't follow it up. So I think they showed a lot of really good things that we should be excited and encouraged about, but they also showed you, look, they're just not as good right now as the top guys. So that's just the way it is, and, and hopefully they'll learn learn from it and, and go forward. Yep, there's still time left from the era of big three domination. What is it, 58 out of 70 slams? So that's ridiculous. And good point on the speeches. I, I love what Medvedev said. Um, I thought his little anecdote about right. Novak Djokovic being a decent guy or a cool guy and being so welcoming and warm to him was uh, really well said, and it's nice to see some positivity around Novak Djokovic. Uh, Fitting that yeah, in and also you could tell you could tell it meant something to Medvedev that he remembered that it touched him, you know, that it was impactful for him, and that he yeah, that was a great and that was a really great anecdote. I loved hearing that. Yeah, and I think the larger point you're making is that tennis is good people, and um, that's one of the reasons we love this sport so much. It's um, it's full of interesting characters. It's full of really good people, you know, and. Um, I always think about that as I go through. I mean, some of my favorite things about the sport are the people. And the fact that it's so diverse and that, that, that um, we're able to, we're fortunate when we cover tennis because we don't just get a men's game, we get a men's and a women's game and we get to see that mixture. And uh, to me, that's, and, and the global nature of it, that combined with the warmth and the interesting character of these people make it very special. So good stuff, you guys. I'm very grateful that you joined me and 
I apologize. I don't know if the listeners know. I'm sure the listeners don't know. I was late for today's podcast, and I feel bad. I'm sorry that I wasted you. I owe you guys 15 minutes at some point. Thanks. Yeah, it was great talking to you guys, and I, you know, I love the tournament. I'm glad. I'm glad it came off, and uh, excited for the next one. Thanks, you guys. Let's Absolutely. Do it again soon. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Rick. Absolutely. Thank Ciao. you. Ciao. This edition of the Lucky Light Court Podcast is a wrap. Thank you all for listening. Want to let you guys know where you can find us on social media. Go to facebook.com slash tennis now if you want to see us on Facebook. And we're also on Twitter at tennis underscore now. Perhaps most importantly, we'd love it if you rate, review, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Just go into your Apple Podcasts app, type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast, and voila, you can check out all our past episodes. And again, we'd appreciate it if you give us your feedback there. And that's pretty much it for now. The Australian Open is a wrap. One Grand Slam is in the books. We're happy we got it in, and we hope we get the other three in, and it looks like we are going to. So, guys, stay tuned. Plenty more podcasts to come throughout the 2021 tennis season. Thanks for listening. See you next time.